The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. In the early days of the pandemic, when the shutdowns first started, we moved our Bible studies online. We were able to see each other face to face, share together a bit. We even did an extended study of First Peter. It was good to feel something normal, but it was hard to get used to that format. And as things progressed and we all realized it wasn't going to be a temporary hiatus, we knew it was time to make some changes for the long haul. So St. Aidan's offered two small group book studies. Folks were able to divide up, focus on the book that interested them the most. This series is a recording of our study of the King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. In this book, Scott challenges us to examine whether our church culture is a salvation culture or a gospel culture. How do we understand who Jesus is and what God's calling his church into? And whether our gospel looks like the good news the apostles proclaimed or the evangelicalism of the early 20th century? And along the way, Scott McKnight invites us to examine our own hearts as well, to see what stories we tell in our own lives. So please allow me to invite you to join us as we spend the next several weeks reading and discussing The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. Just a quick note before this week's episode begins. At the time we made these recordings, we were still all growing accustomed to group meetings via Zoom. And as a result, you'll notice some issues with sound quality and some background noise. I've tried to clean up the audio as much as possible, but without distracting from the comments and the discussion that was going on. In spite of any minor troubles along the way, I hope that you are as challenged and encouraged by Scott McKnight's King Jesus Gospel, as I have been. Now, here's our episode. So tonight, we are going to be covering chapter 3 of Scott McKnight's King Jesus Gospel. Now, last week, we covered the first couple of chapters because they kind of doubled up on a lot of the same information. Uh, so we talked about what it means to, uh, you know, what, what the big question is, what, what is the gospel, and then, of course, the various ways that we tend to understand and use that particular word. Uh, and then chapter two asked us this question, um, are we really evangelical, which means are we really gospel people, or are we more oriented just towards salvation? Um, and that is, of course, I, I think for, for many of us, that's a question that we have sort of, uh, you know, that we've asked ourselves along the way. I think a lot of people come into, um, into Anglicanism uh, because they've been asking difficult questions like that for, for some period of time. So, um, 
So I thought what we would do is jump into chapter three. Does that sound good to everybody? So chapter three, he he does he he does what you would expect uh, you know somebody to do on, in this book, where he he begins the book by asking us what's the gospel, and of course he doesn't tell us in chapter one or in chapter two. And he's going to continue in chapter three, not giving us a definition for the gospel yet. <laughs> so he says, uh, you know, obviously you think that I'm dragging my feet, but I want he what he wants to do really is to is to help us to like unpack the baggage that we all have because we're all carrying around some some amount of baggage connected to that word gospel. And he sort of breaks it down in in a, a four different ways, four different areas that we tend to like append that word gospel when what we actually mean is, and he lists the story of Israel, the story of the Bible, or the story of Jesus, or the plan of salvation, or the method of persuasion. And we tend to think about those in particular as what the gospel, uh, what, what the gospel is, what the gospel does. Um, so I thought what I would do tonight, what we do tonight is uh, just open it up to, to everybody in the group. What was something that, as you were reading it, uh, you thought, you know, this is a point that I'm really glad he brought up. Who wants to go first? Who's going to step out? Um, I guess for me, the point that I'm really glad that he brought up is at the end of his, I guess you'd call it the first little, uh, the first subsection that he had in the book, uh, the story of Israel. Mm -hmm. It's those italicized points where he said, uh, that the gospel only makes sense in that story. Without that story, there is no gospel. If we ignore the story, the gospel gets distorted. And that's just what's happened in salvation culture. Mm -hmm. I like that point because, you know, growing up in the, uh, the non-denominational church, I mean, yeah, you, on Sunday school, every now and then you'd hit on um, the who's who of the Old Testament every now and then, as far as they were concerned. You do a thing of David sometimes, maybe Solomon or Moses or, you know, but they wouldn't really explore the whole story. And I get it when you're a child in Sunday school, maybe not going through Samuel, Kings, Judges, whatnot, but they never really went through the books of the minor prophets. They never went through much of the story when you got older, when you got into high school and they started right. doing more of the small group stuff. And so it's very easy to go through all that and go, oh, well, the Old Testament, we just keep that because, well, that led up to Jesus, but it's the Jesus and after stuff that's important. Yep. It's, they, they, I want to stress, they actually didn't teach that, but because of how they went about teaching things, it was very easy for that mindset to crop up in in the congregation. Mm -hmm. Well, this unintended consequences of telling stories uh, in, in that particular way. Yeah. So Jeremiah, what was something that you found that, that uh, you know, caught your attention, something you liked a lot that he brought up? Um, the thing for me uh, was on page 41, um, right before he starts talking about the method of persuasion, mm -hmm. um, he says, why do we struggle here? Because as we've equated gospel with plan of salvation, that means we're forced to equate kingdom with plan of salvation. Uh, worse yet, we are forced to decide, and many have opted for either kingdom or plan of salvation. I felt a little called out in that moment, mm. um, 
because I'm definitely a person who is probably, um, if I have to choose, I choose kingdom mm -hmm. over plan of salvation. Um, but a lot of what he's talked about so far, I'm kind of like, I feel like he's talking to people on the other end of a spectrum than me mm -hmm. and trying to like make excuses for them so that he seems like he's supportive of their shortcomings, um, which I'm not supportive of their shortcomings. I'm only supportive of my own shortcomings. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. So, <laughs> right. Um, so, but I, but I really liked that part because he pointed out, you know, I, that we can err on the other side mm -hmm. and that, you know, if I feel like I have to choose between kingdom and plan of salvation, then maybe that means that, you know, I am also, even though I say I'm not, I'm equating the gospel with the plan of salvation. Right. So it wasn't my, you know, it wasn't the fav my favorite thing to hear. I only liked to hear I'm right. But, um, but it did kind of make me like dig in a little bit more and, and think, oh, maybe there is something here that I should probably learn too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Anybody else? Something that uh, caught your attention, part of it that you really enjoyed? I mean, basically just what Robbie said. But um, I don't know what page is on because I have it on my phone. Mm -hmm. uh, it says, I recently read a book about the gospel and came away with this question. Does that author even need the Old Testament for his understanding of the gospel? Sadly, mm -hmm. I don't think the Old Testament even mattered. Mm -hmm. so, that's kind of what Robbie already talked about. That's what stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was that that was a really important thing to point out. Um, when I was, uh, you know, I, I grew up in in a in a Baptist church, and when I when I left that, I ended up in a Reformed Charismatic church, which is a weird combination. Um, but you know, they were they were really sweet people, and they imagined themselves to be very theologically deep. And I thought I, I think that's what attracted me. To, to that way of, of, of doing things. Um, but as I, you know, as, as I spent time in that community, I realized that, that it was still this, this sort of salvationist uh, way of approaching scripture and of course, way of approaching life in general. So they had this, it had, the, the, there was this one Sunday where they were singing this song and it's called the gospel song. Um, and and I'll, I'll I'll say it to you. I won't sing it because I don't remember the tune. Honestly, I you, you know me. I would sing it to you if I could remember it, but I I don't remember the the tune for it. So the the words of the song are this: Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross he took my sin. By his death I live again. And that's it. That's that's the whole song. That's the gospel song. And in this church. One time we sang that refrain 14 times in a row. <laughs> those four, those those four lines, just you know, which, which of course you know eventually it would slow down, and then the you know the drums and the bass guitar would get louder and louder, and you know people were losing their minds, and you know they were just swept away in the spirit. And I just kept listening to those, and I'm like, 
those things are true. I don't, I, I don't want to say that those things aren't true. But the gospel is not just that. The gospel does something to us and in us and through us. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and the reality is that a lot of times in reformed, uh, re reformed communities, there's so much attention that's spent to that issue of who is and who isn't saved, who is and who isn't being saved and all of that. Mm -hmm. that nobody talks about what life is supposed to look like being saved. Right. Uh, you know, whether, whether you think that it's a now in and out or an eventually in and out, whatever that is, there's just, in, and, and this was true about that community, there wasn't time spent, like, what does it look like for me right now to continue on in the kingdom? What does it look like for me to live in the midst of this? God? The gospel has to be something bigger and something broader. Mm -hmm. So my, my question for us is, what do you think it is that we are at risk of losing when we reduce the gospel down to four spiritual laws or, or five verses out of Romans or a, a sound bite or, you know, four lines in a, in a praise chorus song? What, what, let just throw back to me. What, what, what do you think we risk losing when the gospel is sort of simplified that way? Robbie? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how, um, people like to try to understand and explain things, and that's true cross-culturally. Now, there are different cultures that like to do it in different ways. Here in the West, we have a very reductionist side, but, I mean, the, the need to understand is universal mm -hmm. for us. But doing this reductionist, this Western reductionist method, and combining the fact that somewhere in the back of our minds, we equate gospel with Jesus, mm. and that if we're trying to be properly Trinitarian, we equate Jesus with God. If we reduce gospel, we reduce God. We try to put God in our back pocket when we do that, whether we intend to or not. That, yeah. That's one of the things that happens. And if you have a God that you can explain and that you can control, that ain't a God. That's, that's a thought that made you feel good. Right, it, it's an idol. I mean, that, that's that's yeah. the whole point of an idol is it, it's something small and something concrete, something that we can hang on to, and something that you know ultimately we can control. Whether we're controlling it through our good behavior or or through our appeasement, it still is something small that we can hang on to. Yeah. So I think to sum it up, we miss out on God and we get an idol instead. Yeah. Or at least we very easily do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What else? What else do we, we risk losing when we, when, when we shrink down the gospel? I think kind of what I got from this whole chapter in my question about everything is kind of how we got from the story of Israel slash the Bible and everything else into a method of persuasion. Like what, what steps did the church in general have to keep taking to be like, we don't need this part. We don't need this part. We can reduce it down to this, to this, to this. And it kind of comes back to what he said of once we start just preaching the plan of salvation or the method of uh, mm -hmm. persuasion is that we've got to start getting people motivated to get into that discipled category instead of what I see is, you know, Jesus and Paul's idea of, you know, sharing the gospel, which is like on the road to Emmaus. He just 
lays out God's plan from the beginning and says, here's what it is. Let me open up the scriptures to you the entire way. And Paul, you know, doing the same thing to the, you know, God fearing Gentiles and everyone else. Right. So to, to, to jump ahead slightly, when we get into chapter six, he's going to talk about that, about what, what happened, especially in the American context um, during the, the 1800s and the, early, the first half of the 1900s that sort of set us up for that way of, of, of talking about the gospel. He's going to, and, and then he's going to, you know, move, move on past that. But I think, yeah, I think that's a hugely important question because he sort of at the end of the chapter, when he talks about the, the, the means of persuasion, the method of persuasion, he talks a little bit about, uh, you know, if you look at these four different eras, you see the gospel being presented and the means and the method is a little bit different. So Peter and Paul don't look like the second century. The second century doesn't look like the reformers. The reformers don't look like the, the revivalists like John Wesley uh, and, and certainly not the, the later revivalists that came after the, the first great awakening. So, you know, so he, he hits on that a little bit, but he's, you know, as, as a, a slight spoiler in a couple of chapters, he's going to, he's going to deep dive into uh, you know, what, um, Oh, what's the fellow's name? Charles Finchie and um, D.L. Moody and some of those guys that were that, that were a big part of the, the Second Great Awakening, the revivalism of the early 1900s. Um, he's going to talk about uh, about that later on as well. Can, can y'all hear me? Uh-huh. Yeah, we've got you. Okay. Uh, on the bottom of page 41, a, a sentence I thought about. I'm like Lee. I grew up in a Baptist church. It's that the preferred method of persuasion for many, if not most, begins with God's grace, which is good, but quickly moves to the final judgment, hell, and wrath of God. And if, if you don't, what we call make a decision, that's what you're going to get. And you're going to get the final judgment of hell, wrath, and they put more emphasis on that sometimes than, than God's grace and God's love. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's, saying, we, that's, we, that's well, what I grew up with. We say, just as I am, until somebody went down the aisle. It might take, it might take multiple <laughs> back calling lots to see who's trying to go down. You so we bow your hand, have raise your, you raise your hand, you know, all this stuff. Because if you didn't do that, you're going to hell. <laughs> That's what salvation became to us as Baptists. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, you mind if I piggyback onto what you said, Joe and Jesse? Yeah. I think it also kind of ties in with what I said earlier, too. That made me think. Um, yeah, it's like you have, when you reduce things like that, you, you miss out on everything. You move to, okay, how can we best persuade people? Yeah. And you get what seems like two different camps. You have the, the legalistic uh, Hellfire Brimstone camp, which seems to be what Joe was describing. And then you have the other camp, which is more popular today, which is the, well, nothing is wrong. There's no such thing as a bad yeah. thing. Sin doesn't exist. You can do anything you want, and God's okay with it. Yeah. It's, the, it's like people cherry pick which half of the, uh, <laughs> uh, of the story of Jesus you know, telling people not to stone the woman that they yeah. want. It's the... the well, God is just love. Everything is hunky-dory. Go, well, see, Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the legalistic people come down on the, well, Jesus says, go and sin no more. And you have to remember they were both. They were, they were both there. Mm -hmm. Both parts are important. And 
either one without the other is broken. Absolutely. So one, one thing that he, you know, the bulk of this chapter is him sort of talking about the, the four different, um, the four different categories, right? So he says right at the beginning of the chapter, uh, to set the stage for defining the gospel, we need to distinguish four big categories. And the themes of this book flow from these four categories. So it begins with the story of Israel or, or the story of the Bible, then the story of Jesus, then the plan of salvation, and then the method of persuasion. And what I found fascinating as I, as I was reading through this is I have, I have in various ways during my life encountered different groups of people who try to take the entirety of the gospel and compress it down into one of these four areas. Now, you know, we've, we, we, from, from listening to everybody so far, we've, we've heard, you know, what it looks like when the gospel becomes a, a method of persuasion. Um, you know, because it, I, I, when, when you grow up in, in a Baptist church or a salva any of the Salvationist churches, uh, when, when you go witnessing to people, what you're doing, what you say that you're doing is, I'm going to go and share the gospel. Did you share the gospel with them? Did you give them the gospel? And this idea of gospel is, is intrinsically in those communities and intrinsically tied into not the story itself, but rather the way that the story is being told. Um, but on the other side, uh, uh, well, along that same, the, the same line, the plan of salvation, sometimes when we say, did you present the gospel? We're not saying, did you tell them about, uh, uh, about the story of, of God and God's creation and God's redemption uh, and God's, uh, the, the future redemption of all things and, and, and God's making all things new? You didn't, we didn't mean that. We meant, did you tell them that Jesus came and died for you and that if you want to go to heaven and not go to hell when you die, you need to, you, you know, like when we said that, when we said, I, did you share the gospel? That's what we meant. Did you tell them this particular story, um, this particular version of a story with, with all, of the, all, all of the other bits sort of cherry picked out? Uh, you know, we, we left all of the stuff that, that was confusing uh, and, and uncomfortable sort of on, on the, the side of that, on the wayside of that. When, when I was in, um, in college, I got involved in a church that was a, a small sort of a Kind of a leftover from a, a house church movement and i'm not critiquing the house church movement i'm just trying to describe kind of what this community looked like it was a handful of families that all kind of met together and they they all just sort of took turns preaching but they had sort of initially 15 or 20 years before this been formed around this one pastor who had a particular vision for how the bible worked so this is called antinomianism but this the 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 idea that was sort of locked into that is that there's this sharp contrast between law and grace and i literally have had had people in that church tell me when when we started reading from the gospels that that those things were true but that jesus was teaching those things from the other side of the cross uh, and so God's grace didn't apply then the way that it applies now. It's a silly thing, but that is the kind of thing that happens when we take one of these one of these parts of the gospel and we imagine that that everything else just needs to sort of get compressed in on that. Now, the thing that I was thinking about is is what does it look like if we take the story of Jesus and we make that the only thing and we smush everything else into that? You guys have any thoughts about what that might look like? I think that one of the big things that I've seen happen is that we have no understanding of what 
Jesus is doing or what kind of context he stepped into, mm -hmm. who he's talking to. And so we just assume that Jesus is talking to us in our culture and in our time mm -hmm. um, because we remove him out of the story. Um, there's also obviously going to be no understanding of God as revealed as the Father or the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in that kind of context either. But that's kind of a more theological sure. issue. But you also miss out on those relationship pieces mm -hmm. that I think are what we miss out most when we forget about the story and we move to other pieces. I don't see how you can understand Jesus without wondering, well, who are these Pharisees? You know, you wouldn't understand the, the, the Jewish system of sacrifices and what Jesus made the difference in. You didn't know mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. So I think if you just take the message or the life of Jesus, I've been reading the book, uh, The Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac. And he keeps talking about like all these, you know, they were really into Buddhas there. And I think that's more or less what you get if you do that. You get a 1950s, 1970 feel good Jesus that has no power in your life today hmm. it's kind of one of those things like oh he was a great teacher and a great philosopher you know and just kind of did all these cool things but mm -hmm. that's about it so if you take the if, if you take the 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 idea of salvation and sort of just compress it down into the jesus story then yeah it does become yeah. very much it uh, becomes like you know uh godspell or yeah. jesus christ superstar like you know I think Jesus Christ Superstar did a little bit better, maybe, but. Um, but I think that's true. I, I think that a lot of a lot of what can happen is exactly that. We sort of we end up with this, uh, you know, this feel good sort of a, a guru picture of Jesus, um, and it's it's disconnected from our lives and it's disconnected from any kind of historical. Uh, historical reality. We mentioned that as well. So what about the last one? The last one that, that he points out is the, the story of Israel, the story of the Bible. What does it look like if we take the entirety of the gospel and we mush it down into just the story of the, the story of Israel? You'll still be looking for the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, the, that story, we wouldn't have the climax of it that we have in the story of Jesus, if we don't give the story of Jesus its proper place of attention. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, I think specifically the term that would probably most often be used is legalism, mm -hmm. is what you would end up with. Um, just because the even though the Old Testament has these beautiful stories about God's grace, they're really hard to understand unless you because they're from a totally different culture. Right. Um, and so the thing you're going to see if you're just reading it, not having any kind of basis for it, is you're just going to see like Ten Commandments, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And then you get into Joshua Jud and Judges and the Kings where God's just constantly like people disobey and God like smacks them in the head. <laughs> Right, so I'm, but the Old Testament's full of terrifying stories like that that you just kind of yeah. forget about and you move on with. But I think you know, going back to what Robbie said too, I, I, you know, I've been reading reading through a lot of the the minor prophets recently, and and it's very true that 
there, there are a couple of minor prophets that sort of stand out. Um, you know, uh, Zephaniah is, is one of them. There's a, there's a couple of others, but apart from those, the story that the prophets are bringing is about the restoration of God's people and not hope for the nations. You get, you get a, a taste of that in Isaiah and in some of the, you know, the larger, broad, big picture things that he's doing. And you get a little bit of that in some of the minor prophets, but by and large, it's a very specific story. And so even if we don't end up in, in the, the legalistic camp, like, like Jeremiah mentioned, or one of the, it, it pushes us toward both legalism and tribalism. Um, this, this idea that there are in, there, there's an in-group and an out-group, and, and there, there are people that Jesus loves, and there are people that Jesus doesn't love, uh, and, and our gospel gets distorted. Because ultimately, that's, that, that's sort of what he's driving at here, is that all of these are different ways that the gospel gets distorted because we focus our attention too much on, um, on other things. We focus our attention too much on the way that we're talking or or the outline for for that presentation or the 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 one particular story or one big you know overarching meta narrative um, that we just sort of get lost in all of the details. What was something that you read that you found particularly challenging? This is the second to last paragraph in the chapter. I think it starts these four categories form two units. Do you guys see that? Mm-hmm. The very end. <clears throat> He's talking about how the story of Jesus and the story of the Bible sort of belong together in one chunk uh, and that the, the plan of salvation, the method of persuasion, they sort of belong together in, in one chunk. About halfway through the, uh, the paragraph, he says, the four need to be distinguished but because we have crushed the story of Israel and the story of Jesus under the interpretation of the last two big ideas, the plan of salvation and the method of persuasion, and I confess I've done the same, the gospel has lost its edge and its meaning. That last, that, that last statement, the gospel has lost its edge and its meaning, um, that one caught me off guard. I don't think I was. I, I, I don't think I was quite ready for for Scott McKnight to go that direction with it. Um, you know, maybe it's like, oh well, we've simplified it, or we've we've lost track of it, or we've understated or overstated, but not that, right? The gospel has lost its edge and its meaning. That there's something about the power of the gospel and the point of the gospel that is lost when we compress the whole thing down into the way that we tell a particular story to evoke a particular response. Was there anything that you read where you said, where, where you just had this aha moment, like you were just thrilled that some that, that somebody said something in a way that you hadn't heard before? Maybe it was something that was encouraging or something along those lines, Robbie? Uh, yeah, for me it was um, on the first full paragraph of page 40, towards the end of the um, what's it, the, the plan of salvation section. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, and it's where he says, uh, not only have we reduced the robust view of salvation to these four or five points, we are also asking the plan of salvation to do something it was never intended to do. Oh. The plan of salvation, to put this crudely, isn't discipleship or justice or obedience. 
It leads to one thing and one thing only, salvation. And then he follows it up with what justification is. He says, it doesn't lead inexorably to a life of justice or goodness or loving kindness, your favorite phrase. Mm -hmm. It says, if it did, all Christians would be more just and more filled with goodness and drenched in love. Well, I'm not going to say I liked hearing that, but it was good. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, if, if the gospel is reduced down to just a plan of salvation, then then you, the, the wholeness of the Christian life is, is lost. What else? Was there something caught you off guard? Something that you, you really liked or were surprised by? I was kind of caught off guard or really liked the um, way that he described kind of Adam and Eve and the whole like they're the image bearers and they were meant to be doing this and this and this and then you know again bringing it back to revelation saying like it's not supposed to be a garden anymore now it's a thriving culture city cultured city yeah that we're, you know, we're getting into it's not you know it's not what it originally was mm -hmm. and it's gonna I liked that whole idea and everything they had to say about that kind of in the beginning of the chapter, mm -hmm. even before the story of Israel. There's a telos, yeah. and the telos isn't we're going to make a new garden. It's, it's that God is going to build a city around the garden. I, yeah, I loved that image. I thought that was really mm -hmm. cool. That was a great way to, to describe that. I like his, that we take another path. That's N.T. Wright has a thing like, you know, GP, like the you take a wrong turn on the GPS, it's like, all right, well, we can still get you there, <laughs> but it's going to take this way now. <laughs> not going to be as sure. easy as it was. <laughs> was there anything that you had uh, a question about? Something that you're like, that doesn't quite make sense to me, or maybe, you know, he seemed like he's overstating that a little bit, something, something along those lines? Anything where he said, well, I want to push back on that, Scott. So I know this makes me a terrible person, but I actually don't like at all his four categories. Like I don't, I don't like that because it seems to me more like, and, it, and maybe I'm just trying to make myself happier with it, but it seems like the picture they, you know, he's like, this is a good picture. This word that's wider at the bottom and narrower at the top. Um, and he, it seems like he's trying to create this picture of like building a pyramid. But I don't feel like the four things that he creates create any kind of pyramid for a, for a discipleship structure. Mm -hmm. It seems like he's getting them from somewhere else. And I just... It seems to me like maybe the story of Jesus and the story of Israel slash story of the Bible, which is also a weird way to put it, like Jesus is in the Bible too, but he specifically puts that with Israel. But it's like, it seems more like those two are the foundation of a building mm -hmm. and the plan of salvation and the method of persuasion are like the pieces to build a column or to build a wall. But that there are also going to be a bunch of other things that are also built off of that foundation of the story of Jesus and Israel uh, that are going to come in other places to help us make a whole 
building. Um, because it seems like to me, and you know, as we all know, I'm an anti plan of salvation person anyway, apparently. Um, <laughs> but it but it seems to me like the way that he's put it together as if they're almost equal has mm -hmm. a problem and that this is kind of a complete picture and i'm sure he'll build on it later and i'll feel better but of the gospel it just seems very very limited right to me well and i, I think um, i mean it's worth pointing out that like at the very end of the chapter he's he says that he's going to maintain that the gospel only actually belongs in the first the, the first column, in in the first column. Like the gospel is the story of Israel and the story of the, the story of the Bible, and the, the other things are parts of that, but that they're not the whole story. But I think that that I, I think that that image, that sort of pyramid image that he uses, is confusing. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, the very last paragraph, uh, he he says, "I'm going to contend in the pages that follow." The word gospel belongs to one and only one of the four sets of terms and will contend that it belongs to the story of Jesus as the resolution of Israel's story. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm trying, still trying to figure out where he's going with all this sometimes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I've read, I've almost finished chapter five and still have some, you know, where's this, where's this guy going with his stuff? Chapter four mm -hmm. is rather long too. <laughs> yeah, the next chapter where, where he, you know, dives into... In, into oh. Paul is is, is a, a long chapter. It'll mm. there, there's a lot for us to digest for our next meeting. Yeah. Any others? Any other things that were confusing or things where you want to push back on Scott? So he <laughs> he concludes with it with this point, right? <clears throat> Once we see the difference between the, between gospel and salvation, he says we'll be able to develop a salvation culture that finds its only true home in the gospel culture. But we've got some work to do to get there, and it begins with a set of questions that many of us are asking. And the questions are, what is or was the original gospel, or what was the apostolic gospel? What was the gospel Jesus preached? What was the gospel of the New Testament? So in chapter four, he's going to ask, he's going to begin answering that question. What does the gospel look like in Paul's writing uh, in, in particular? And he's going to, to, to walk through a couple, of, um, a couple of different perspectives and a couple of different uh, other pastors' experiences uh, as, as he moves there. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
with our Father is restored. Hope with our Father is 